Welcome to Staying at the Table. We are friends and community and part of a church called Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Despite our many differences, we aim to stay at the table, which means we don't walk away from each other when we disagree. We believe the best of relationship comes when we're willing to listen to each other, showing love even when we continue to see the world differently. In today's episode of Staying at the Table, we talk about our core value we receive and offer God's grace abundantly. We discuss how we practically experience grace in our worst moments and define grace as that which invites us to turn toward God when we are at our worst. We consider whether you can offer grace without receiving grace and how grace is part of dying to self. Come join us at the table and enjoy the show. So right now, we are in the process of laying the foundation for our paradigm of journeying together in what it means or looks like to stay at the table and to remain in relationship and exhibiting kindness and grace and tolerance and not vilifying the person who doesn't agree with us, even when that disagreement might be ugly. And today, I am leading the conversation on one of our core values called receiving and offering God's grace in abundance. So as we're talking about this, I know that Matt likes to do a icebreaker. I don't, so I'm just going to go right into the conversation. So we'll leave those (laughs) icebreakers to Matt. All right. But so as I was thinking in preparation for this podcast, that all of our core values, they sound so holy and they sound so good and they sound so uh, phenomenal in theory. And when I think about receiving and offering God's grace in abundance, how? How do these work in real time? So my question to my friendly friends panel here is, how do you receive and uh, God's grace on your worst day. On a day that you wake up and you are struggling and life feels difficult, especially even now with the things going on in our world, how do you receive God's grace abundantly on your worst day? And I'm going to start with Matt because you look deep in thought. Yeah, right now... That looks like, for me personally, it looks like some sense of compartmentalization. And I know that probably doesn't sound great, but the way I receive grace is by not letting the terrible thing that just happened spilled into every other element of my life. Um, I'm fortunate to have a lot of stability in my life in a lot of areas and stress in a few areas. And so for me, the danger I face is to allow my stress at work, for example, to bleed into interacting with my kids or hanging out with neighbors. And I think that's, it's, it's in those transitions that I have to take space and allow God to speak into, okay, that happened. I don't think grace for me means we don't acknowledge that, you know, that was terrible. You know, I feel like crap. 
I want to roll up right now. You know, that that isn't, grace isn't pretending it didn't happen. But for me right now, it's kind of recentering in those moments and letting God speak in and say, you're still my son. You know, I'm still here. Um, let's go play catch. Let's, you know, let's cook a meal. Let's, let's do something um, where you can remember that there's still goodness in this world. So let me break that down or break it down for me a little bit more. How do you receive? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. For me, receiving, oh, it, I think it, there's usually like tangible moments where I have to kind of make space. Um, it's hard for me to receive grace, um, which so I would describe that process as moving from a place of hurt and frustration to a place of healing and renewal internally. Um, it's a place of release, letting go of what has happened, but again, not denying its existence, and re refocusing my perspective on kind of the the longevity of God's goodness in my life, you know, letting the timeline expand from this moment where I feel terrible mm. to let's remember the my life and, and and how God has been there and pouring over it. And so that usually looks like when I, when I was commuting, it was on the train, you know, taking that time, looking out the window and just praying, meditating, taking a nap. Um, without without my commute, since since the pandemic, I've had to find that space. I've ended up. I my office is in my bedroom, which you know some people probably think that's a terrible idea, but. <laughs> Um, kind of, but okay. You know, so I, I just got to roll up on my bed and um, lay there for a while. And if someone walks in like, in the feet is Daddy, fetal why are you position. in a fetal position? <laughs> it's just work, you know. So that's, that's a little bit more of what it kind of looks like for me. And also what I'm hearing you say is it is not living in the moment, but it is recognizing that life is fluid and that life is impermanent. Things keep going. This Mm -hmm. moment does not define your whole life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. James, what about you? So I was thinking about this a number of different ways. Um, One is receiving the gift called grace kind of selfishly, right? If you're selfish, the gifts you receive, you kind of just, oh, it's because I'm me. Right. It's it, it. So for those of you that are out there that are listening that are a little bit selfish, you're really going to resonate what I'm about to say, um, because we're family, you and I. Um, and so there's that element of it, of you kind of take the gift, integrate it into what's happening and you almost have this feeling of <laughs> I deserve I deserve it, which is the mistake. Right. Everything up to that point of I deserve it, you're okay. And I think that's when God then speaks and says, oh, really? And then I go, okay, you're right, my bad. I didn't deserve it, but I am very thankful of it. I'm integrated. And uh, this feels good. I mean, we've been, and it's almost becomes, uh, I feel a little bit embarrassed, to be honest, 
of the anger I usually feel just before grace walks in. Right. So um, is is a tough situation. You know, Matt mentioned work. It could be family. It could be anything. And you're really struggling with it at the moment. So you're mad. Mm -hmm. And then there's the breakthrough. And you go, oh, I'm a, you know, one of these times I'm going to try to get through this moment without being so mad, without acting so childish, without, you know, making a stink of this situation before it works itself out. Um, so for me, the, the receiving the, great, the, the grace comes a little easier. It is just the problem leading into the grace moment. I really uh, trying to manage my mind, manage my emotions up to that point, even though I know grace is coming. And it, it, but integrating it once it arrives, um, I usually can do that. I'm usually disappointed in how I acted before grace arrived. What's interesting to what you're saying is you're almost defining grace. Because isn't grace the thing that shows up when we're at our worst? Mm. Isn't grace the the thing we have to breathe in when we're disappointed in ourselves or angry with ourselves because we didn't do it the right way mm -hmm. to begin with? You know, grace, grace for me is that moment. You know, there are so many um, moments of my life that I have not – I'm a, I'm an Enneagram one, which means I'm a reformer, which mm. means I seek perfection. Mm. So I absolutely fail at perfection. And what I find at the end of my imperfection, at the end of my own self, self frustration, anger, is that grace that breaks through and says, even there, I love you. Even there, I accept you. So that you know for me you are defining exactly what grace is is in our ugliest god's love remains in our mm. ugliest god's kindness finds us and invites us into the something more always inviting us to our true self always inviting us to try again mm -hmm. matt what what are you thinking i can yeah, see no, yeah no yeah i was thinking about i mean i was thinking about math um and i was thinking about parabolas you know the kind of that shape where there's something at the tip, and in, in calculus, it has very specific properties, and you think about that a lot, and then it changes direction. And you were saying, you know, when things are at its worst, and in some ways you can think of that as kind of like a trite thing, like, oh, it's the dawn comes after the darkest hour. You know, like, what does that mean? It, it just sounds like, I don't know, but... I was just thinking kind of from a mathematical perspective, if grace is the catalyst for like the angular change, you know, what, what, what's bringing about that change of direction, then indeed it's true. You know, grace is that thing when, you know, the, the, the first derivative equals zero and then changes it to the different direction. Right. I was just thinking about that. Yeah, that's very profound. So in, in receiving it, then what does the offering look like? What does that look like in real time? 
What does that look like in life? When we're angry at ourselves or the other person or the situation, when we want to yell, maybe when we do yell, I, I don't know. What does, what does offering grace look like? And James, I'm going to start with you this time. Yeah. So to offer, you really have to push yourself to mature in the moment. Mm. Right. And it's kind of, it seems almost impossible to offer grace if you haven't matured to a certain point in understanding the moment. So, for example, if I, if, if I feel that the other person, their actions are going to materially impact me, then I find it hard to offer the grace. Mm-hmm. But once I understand the moment in that my outcomes come from somewhere else, it's easier to offer. And it's understanding mm-hmm. this person needs this, not me. And being mature enough to go ahead and give them what, their need, what they need, understanding my needs are going to come and be satisfied somewhere else. And so offering that grace abundantly is you have to understand both yourself, your capabilities, your source, and then look at the other individual and say, hey, this person needs it. Can you separate yourself from the selfishness and give them what they need anyway? Right? I'm not going to get anything back. I don't need anything back. My source is somewhere else. Give them what they need. Unpack that. What do you mean by your source, your needs come from somewhere else? Unpack yeah. that. Well, whether it's material, emotional, or whatever, I'm, if, if I have and I'm unwilling to give, then something's processing in me that makes me want to hoard what I have. The person needs what I have, even if it's just a listening ear, and I refuse to give it, then there's something falling short in me. And so I slow down and say, well, what is that? And how do I address it? Because giving it doesn't affect me. Giving it doesn't take away from me. I have what I have from somewhere else, whether it's my spiritual relationship, whether it's uh, giving grace in terms of my time, uh, all of that is coming from somewhere. Giving won't pull away from me. And I think that is the, for me, my mind has to go into the place of understanding that my giving in this moment does not pull away from my life. And, and for me, that's the quintessential definition of abundance, because it is the giving, the abundance is because I understand my source comes from another place, yep. not from you. Mm-hmm. The abundance is that you don't, maybe the person doesn't deserve it, the situation doesn't deserve it, mm-hmm. but I'm going to give it, and that's the abundance. That's right. God's abundance towards us. Even while you were enemies, I died for you. So his abundance is that we were enemies, and, and yet God died. Yeah. So. Uh, let it, me ask one more question. 
uh, from you that just flew out of my head. So keep going with what no, you're it is it, in giving that grace, whether you deserve it or not, isn't even a calculation. You do. You need it. Beautiful. You got it. Whether you deserve it is not a part of my calculation at all. So how is that true when you are face-to-face with a terrible situation, a fight with your spouse, uh, somebody completely um, just standing over against you? How does that play out? Usually that's a conversation that's going on between me and God at that moment. The person is just, it's all... And it sounds bad, so I apologize for not being it. it Be uh, real. It, it it's almost like the person is the person, but that is not the situation. Yes, mm-hmm. the situation is a conversation that's going on between me and God about what I should be doing in this moment because of who I am. Yes, and who God is, and who God is, right? And so they could be acting a total knucklehead. But that's not important. Or I perceive them to be acting like, right? Because you said a loved one. They may be like, hey, this is just another Tuesday. What are you talking about? I was acting like a knucklehead, right? This is this is how we do in this house. Um, but you do it because the situation, the conversation between you and God says, this is what's to do. This is what makes this better in the long run. So you are not responding to necessarily the person the situation you are responding to god so there's almost what i you'll hear me say this a lot detached involvement so you're you are involved in the situation in the conversation but you are detached from the outcome and almost detached from the person Mm -hmm. it sounds bad but it's not no you are remaining in relationship but you are detaching from their perspective or opinion of you correct that's good. So, Matt, what about you? Yeah, I might just even add in there that detachment. The word I would use for that is dying to self. Yes. Right. So the detachment is in death. That you are not um, going to allow your your selfishness to guide your interaction in that moment. That that would be. To reattach, that would be to, to to lean in to what you feel. The detachment is, I'm going to release that, and in and, and that I detach. And and I hear a lot of pieces about identity in here. Yeah. Um, when I think about grace, I often think about how the, the grace that I see myself offering to people most regularly in this season is allowing them to be who they are even when that's not who I want them to be. Mm, that's really good. Um, because I, I I just feel like that that lesson just keeps coming back to me that I can't control a thing. And, um, you know, especially as a parent, like there's just so much that I cannot do for or fix or make better or make right or change um, in the lives of those who are closest to me. And even though I want and can see, like, ah, if you could just do this, you would be better off. But I have to release that and meet that person where they are. And, and so it's similar to what you were saying, James, that I, I, can't, I can't meet them with an expectation of who I want them to be mm. in that moment. That's what I have to most consistently release. I have to meet them 
where they are right now and then speak love and compassion into that moment without the expectation because the expectation communicates frustration and anger and you know just i'm over it with you <laughs> yeah but you know if if i can let that go and say you know what can i do to serve you in this moment i mean just like you were saying um that first thing needs to be released before I can get there. Mm-hmm. What I love about what you both are saying is that I think there's such a huge part of when we argue with people, when we are in situations with people, that we have an expectation of the way they should respond, of the way they should believe, of the way that they should think, that you know everybody does this. We put this on the other person, and hence, hence we begin to argue or get angry. I think it's such a poignant um, thought that we have to remove our own um, expectation of the other person and meet them where they're at, which for me is exactly what what God does to us. God invites us into our true Mm -hmm. self Mm -hmm. and loves us where we are while inviting us into something bigger and and more... um, that moves us more towards our new self, mm-hmm. our true self. So that's profound. Okay, so I have a couple more questions. These are going to be fast. How are you feeling when you're doing this? You're feeling kumbaya, you know, in these moments when you are faced with somebody with a differing opinion, faced with a child that's making choices that really cause maybe you to fear or that you see they can be something better, facing somebody who is against you. What are the feelings? Are the feelings connected to the receiving and offering God's grace in abundance? That's what I'm asking. I feel like a, a duck and weave for me. I've never boxed, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to be honest there. But I mean, I imagine I, I see the, these like emotional punches coming, and and if and if I let them land, I, it's done. Like I just feel the anger. I feel the fr- even yesterday. I, I remember I was. I was cleaning up and I was the narrative of nobody is helping you mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, was yeah. building. Like I could feel it. Right. Like everybody else is ignoring you. Right. And, and like, I could feel that like ready to land and I had to make a choice. Like, yes. am I going to like foster this? Yeah. Follow the unhelpful path. Right. Mm-hmm. Or am I going to just duck it and yeah. kind of be like, whoop. Yep. No, nope. go. I'm just going to let that go. So that yeah. that to me is kind of a main emotional piece. What about you, James? I think that's accurate because some days is no problem. Other days you're like, you got to be kidding me. And I think the, the big thing is the fear of the unknown. I'm going to do this and I have no idea how this is going to turn out. And I'm upset with that because <laughs> I'm the one making the sacrifice right now. It's my resources, either my time, yeah. my whatever it is. Those are mine. That That's how my brain is going. And he was like, and I don't know the outcome. So now my emotion could either be, doesn't matter, or either, oh, I'm upset. And you, you have to take the action anyway. Yeah. This is truly the dying to self and the picking up your cross. This is where, to me, the rubber meets the road. You know, I'm, an, I'm a passionate person. I'm an emotional person. And I've spent so much of my life with my emotions leading the way. And in this last decade of my life, learning how to not allow my emotions to lead the way, but allow my choice to lead the way. 
and that I don't have to respond to the emotion. So oftentimes, even though I might be moving in grace, I am not feeling Mm -hmm. grace. Mm -hmm. I might be making the choice to speak calmly, but inside I might have curses coming going through my mind. And I think that's an important aspect because I think people think oftentimes that we have to feel grace to act grace just. And mm. for me, it is more often than not, I am not feeling grace. I am making the choice to move in grace. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's an important part. Okay, one more fast question. I know we're running short, but that's what I do. Um, are we able, are you able to offer grace without first receiving grace? What are your thoughts? I think that's a difficult question for me to answer at this point in my life because I've received so much already. So I can imagine the person who grew up in a neighborhood which lacked resources and they are still there. Those are the people that are the most impressive to me. And I've met them. Um, Many of you who visited uh, Cornerstone and you've heard me speak from time to time and I'll talk about these church mothers. And to me, they're the most phenomenal people I've ever met on planet Earth. Because if you hear their story, their story seems to be so laden with hurt, pain, uh, betrayal. And they are the most loving people I've ever met in my life. And they give grace at a level. They should have been queens and princes. Their level of grace is just to be admired. And so I'm, I'm not a good barometer because I've received so much. Them, which I think their grace far exceeds mine, says, wow, maybe you can. But how are you defining grace? See, when you're talking about those church mothers, my assumption Mm -hmm. is that the way that they can give that much grace is because they've received God's grace. Not from life, from from the greater source, the Mm -hmm. beautiful source, God Mm -hmm. in God's own self. Yeah. Well, either way, it's it's just tough for me to answer. Yeah. Because I don't know what that would look like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if if such a thing exists. You know, from the moment we're born, grace is the air that we breathe. Oh. Um And so I think it's true that some people have a hard time finding it because of the 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 barriers they've you know had to face. Like we all struggle and some like you were saying, I mean in much more deep and kind of destructive ways. But the question is, can you find the grace in spite of those things? Um, Because I, I think of Romans 1, you know, essentially that God's characteristics are everywhere. You know, the grace mm-hmm. is is everywhere. It's just whether we're able to... So, I mean, maybe the question is, what what differentiates our ability to discern that grace? Um, and do you need some sense of spirituality to be able to kind of pull back the hurt of the world to see the grace that is there? 
I don't know. I feel like I've met I've met people who who are able to kind of live a thankful and um a thankful existence, you know, outside of uh, a faith. But it sure seems pretty hard. Yeah, I I just finished reading Booker T. Washington's autobiography on his life, and he was brought up in the depths of slavery and what he accomplished. And just the depth of grace that he received and that somewhere in the midst of the atrocity of of living on a plantation and having to sneak out and just, you know, his, his story is so poignant. But in the midst of there, in the midst of this life, he breathed in grace in, in a special way. And somehow God poured into him this knowledge of his ability. So it's kind of, James, what you were saying with, with the church mothers, mm-hmm. it's a both and. You know, it is the grace they receive in the midst of incredible injustices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it, it surrounds all of us. So, yeah, something to ponder as we continue. So we want to thank you. Thank you again to Matt Kistler and James Beatty and the wonderful Dave Moore, who hey, is Dave. spectacular on sound. Thank you. Woohoo! And of course, we've gone over today because I let it. It's what I do. So we invite you to tune in to Staying at the Table. On uh, Please subscribe on the platforms in which you listen to podcasts. And uh, in the words of Matt that he said at the end of last week that I loved, and that was, I hope you find a way to stay at the table this week. So thank you all. (laughs) That's right. I'm losing it. Have a great day. Have a great day. Stay at the Table is hosted by Dr. Tracy Saletta, James Beatty, and Matthew Kistler, and produced by Hear It Sounded Studio. Find out more about Stay at the Table at cornerstonewestchester.com.